Well, over the past few decades, there's a researcher that came out of Stanford University whose name is Dr. Carolyn Dweck. And she started to do research on what it was that actually caused people to learn and to grow. And listen to the way that she summarizes a few decades worth of research. Here's what she says. For 20 years, my research has shown that the view you adopt of yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. It could determine whether you become the person you want to be and whether you accomplish the things that you really value. And if you know anything about Dr. Dweck's work, here's what she said. She said that every single person has either what she called a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. That every single person in this room has either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And here's how she would have put language to those uh, sort of patterns and narratives that we have floating around in our head. She would have said, if you have a fixed mindset, it means that if you aren't good at something, it means you're never going to be good at it. But if you have a growth mindset, it just means you're not good at it yet, yet. Uh, in a fixed mindset, failure is terminal or fatal because it affects the very core of who we are and we're never going to grow beyond it. But for those who adopt a growth mindset, failure is educational. Uh, like like um, Thomas Edison created a whole lot of ways to not invent the light bulb, right? Yeah, a, a fixed mindset. When we fall short, we have a tendency to blame others. But when we have a growth mindset, there's an acceptance that I didn't quite get the job done that time. And that's okay. I'll do better next time. In a fixed mindset, we often avoid input. We don't want to know what we could do better because we have this deep conviction that we really can't do better. But those who have a growth mindset, they actually seek feedback. They want to know, how can I improve and how can I get better? Um, Those who have a fixed mindset oftentimes compare themselves to others. They view life as a competition. But for those who have a growth mindset, they want to improve and they want to, well, grow. How would you say you would sort of rate yourself? In the uh, worship folder you got when you walked in, there's an outline to follow along with this teaching. And I would just invite you to plot yourself somewhere along that spectrum. Would you say that you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? Because all of us fall somewhere along that spectrum. And I started to sort of think about this as I read through some of Dr. Dweck's research and some of her findings. I started to wonder how, how many how does this apply to our life and our walk with Jesus also? Like, is it possible to have a fixed mindset when it comes to a relationship with Jesus? And is it possible to have a, a growth mindset when it comes to relationship with Jesus? And then I started to think, well, what might that look like? What might a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset look like in our spiritual life? Hey, here's my best attempt to give some language to what it might look like. In a fixed mindset, God is contained or managed or controlled. But in a growth mindset, God is alive. A fixed mindset would say, I must understand. A growth mindset says, I trust. A fixed mindset would say, I'm going to be self-sufficient. But a growth mindset says, I'm going to be God-deficient. In a fixed mindset, worship is a duty. It's something that we've got to do. 
But in a growth mindset, worship is a desire. In a fixed mindset, the desire is I, I, I please people. I make sure everybody's happy. But a growth mindset says, no, I was created to live with purpose. So how would you sort of plot yourself along that spectrum and try your best to be honest? See, the hard part about growth is we have to admit that there's something that's lacking. There's something that's missing. There's something that could be more. That's why for a lot of us, we inadvertently and maybe subconsciously adopt a a fixed mindset. It's more comfortable. It's easier. We can just sort of settle in. But would you lean in for just a moment? It is impossible to become a full and wholehearted disciple of Jesus if we slip into a fixed mindset mentality. It's not just difficult. It's impossible. And look at the way that the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi. Here's what he said. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or that I am made perfect already, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I strain forward. And friends, this is the Apostle Paul. He's planted 14 churches that we know of all over the ancient world. He, he wrote, penned 13 books that are now included in our New Testament scriptures. He was called up into the third heaven. People were healed by his handkerchief. And he goes, I haven't arrived yet. So I'm just going to throw it out there, pastorally as I can. Is it possible that if the Apostle Paul never arrived... That maybe we won't either? If the Apostle Paul assumed that there was still growth on the horizon, that if he assumed that there were still things that God wanted to do in his life after all of the experiences he's had, all of the encounter that he's had, the way that the Spirit ministered to him, if he would say, I press on, I strain forward, and I press on, is it possible that maybe, regardless of how long we've been following Jesus, There is more. And here's the way he continues in this text. It's fascinating. He says this. He says, let those of you who are what? Mature. Think this way. So it is impossible to be mature without saying, I press on. There's more. Let me say it in the negative way. If you think you have arrived, you are immature in your faith. And he says this, it's a little bit of a dig, but he can do that because he's an apostle. And he says this, um, if any in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If you disagree with me, God in time will show you you're wrong. That's what he said. And he wants to push the church forward. He wants to say there's more for you, regardless of how long and how deep you've been following Jesus. There is more for you, and a growth mindset is absolutely essential to following the way of Jesus. If you have your Bible, I want to show this to you in the book of Ephesians. If you open there, 
It's on page 997 in the Pew Bible that's right in front of you there. And also in Resonate, you can find it in the chair back that's right in front of you. And Paul is going to pick up and build on the very first portion of this letter that he wrote and we studied last week. And remember, verses 3 through 14 were all one sentence in the original letter. It was this explosion of gospel goodness. And then Paul builds on that. And listen to what he says. He says this. For this reason. So so time out. I promise I won't stop this often throughout the whole section. But for this reason, Paul wants you to see that everything he's about to write stands on the shoulders of what he wrote last week. That you have a past that's forgiven, a present that's blessed, and a future that's secure. All of that is true of you if you are in Christ. And so Paul says, okay, for that reason, or in light of that, or because of that, all of it's true of you right now. He says this, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. See, faith, genuine faith and love always go together. Paul would say that nothing else counts. Nothing matters except faith expressing itself in love. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I've heard of you, church at Ephesus. I mean, that was quite the accomplishment in the ancient world, especially when Paul is on house arrest in Rome, for him to hear about the faith and love that the Ephesian church is expressing means that they are doing a pretty good job, yes? And so in light of that, Paul doesn't just say, great job. He says, oh yeah, and there's more. There's more. And he's going to begin to pray for them, as C.S. Lewis would write in the last battle, that they would come further up and further in. That Jesus would take them by the hand and lead them toward more of what they already see coming out of their life. For this reason, he says, I pray. I pray for you. Because prayer... Because prayer releases the latent potential within the life of faith. Uh, Prayer helps us to actualize and realize the growth that's possible, that's right in front of us. For years and years and years, Emmanuel Faith, we've made this statement in our core values because prayer is one of our core values here. And listen to what we say about prayer in our constitution and our bylaws. Here's what we write. That prayer releases God's power for ministry. Do you believe that? That prayer is one of the ways that God uses to release what's already in us to minister both through us and I would also add, and to us. And to us. It was interesting, Dr. Billy Graham at the, towards the end of his life was asked, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently? And Billy Graham, I mean, seen stadiums of people, hundreds of thousands, some would say millions of people come to faith in Jesus. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. I would pray more. I would pray more. I wonder what is waiting on prayer in your life in order to be released. 
What type of seed is planted that God wants to bring forth? And it's going to happen through prayer. It's going to happen through prayer. But see, listen, we've got to start where Paul starts, and then we're going to go where Paul goes. And here's where he starts. He refers to the church, and he calls them to all of the, do you see it in your text? Saints. To all the saints. Because before Paul prays for them, he wants to remind them of what's in them already. He doesn't want them to think that God's just creating this out of nowhere. He's calling forth what's already there. Like a seed that's been planted in the ground. And did you know that a seed actually has the the beginnings of a tree already in it? I think some of us would rather that God planted trees of faith rather than seeds of faith. Anybody with me? That they would already be growing into fruition. And oftentimes though, faith starts as a seed and it needs the environment in order to be of prayer, in order to be called forth. But I want you to hear this, Emmanuel, faith. You, if you are in Christ, are right now, today, a saint. A saint. And we have a lot of ideas about what that means in our head. And a lot of them are from the the Catholic Church where they would say a saint, well, needs to be dead for five years. So that puts most of us out of the running already, right? Um, Needs to have lived a virtuous life, okay? Needs to have done at least two miracles. And Paul to all of that says, balderdash, no. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. You're a holy one. And we need to recognize that if we're going to step into all that God would want to step into, if we're going to realize the growth, it's the potential, and if our prayers would have any sort of power, we've got to realize what lies oftentimes dormant already inside of us. And Peter would write this to the church as he says, that his God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Any growth we experience in our life is in becoming more fully who we already are. And see, understanding your true identity is the beginning of this journey. And I'm going to drive this point home because I, I, I think it really matters. Terminology matters. Words matter. The words that we speak over our own life, the words that we speak over Our kids' lives, those words matter. The names that we give matter. It's the reason that that God takes Jacob and he calls him Israel. Because names matter. It's the reason that he changes Simon's name to Peter or Rock. Because words matter. Names matter. And if you would just lean in for just a moment. Here, can I just share part of a prayer that's in my heart? My hope and my prayer is that the church would be one of the most affirming places in the world. That we would be known for calling forth what's already in people. For seeing gifts in people. For seeing hope in people. For seeing joy in people. And love in people. And just like Paul does in this letter to the church at Ephesus, even if it might not be on the surface already, that we see it lying dormant underneath and we call it forth. I want to be that kind of parent. I want to be that kind of church where we see what God is doing. And maybe even sometimes prophetically, we speak into that moment and we say, I see this here and I believe that God is calling you to step into more. One amen. Praise be to God. (laughs) Praise be to God. 
And here's the way that Paul continues. He says this. Here's his prayer, okay? Here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom is just an ancient Hebrew tradition, and it's not IQ, and it's not smarts, okay? Because we all know people that are really, really smart and make really, really dumb decisions, yes? Don't elbow anybody. This is church, okay? But we do, right? See, wisdom is truth digested and truth applied. It's different than smarts. But then Paul builds on that and he says, and I want you to have revelation. This would be like an unveiling. Something that's been there, that's already there, but you just never quite saw before. We saw an example of that this week in our sort of pop culture at large. Okay. We, it was revealed to us that the Houston Astros were sign stealing in the World Series. Right? It had been going on. We just never saw it until the curtain is pulled back. Okay. And we go, Oh, that's what's there. Okay. So Paul is writing to people who are already followers of Jesus. And what he's saying is my prayer is that you would have more of an unveiling of Jesus. He's not talking about conversion. He's talking about transformation. He's talking about further up and further in for those who have been following Jesus for generations. He's saying, I want more for you. What does he want more of? Well, he wants more of um, an alignment with reality, the way that we live, and an unveiling of God's presence with us in the knowledge of him. And he uses this really, really specific word when he talks about knowledge. It's the word epigenosis. Would you say that with me? Epigenosis, right. And it means firsthand experiential contact knowledge. Now, he could have chosen the Greek word oida. Will you say that with me? Oida, right. And that means facts. Uh, Like you can get oida reading a National Geographic about the Grand Canyon, right? But you get gnosko or epigonosko when you stand on its brim and go, that's really deep. (laughs) Those are very different things, yes? Paul's prayer for the church, Paul's prayer for those who are already walking with Jesus, if I could say it succinctly, would be this. I'm praying for the church to have an increased awareness of Jesus' presence, that it would result in a firsthand experiential knowledge of him. That's his prayer. There would be a presence unveiled. A presence unveiled. It's sort of like in a marriage. When you stand before a spouse and during a marriage ceremony, uh, typically it's because you know them. Not in every culture, but in ours. Typically it's because you know them and it's because you love them and are making a covenantal commitment to them. Now, five years later, do you still know them and still love them, theoretically? Yes. Does, do those words mean something different five years later? 
than they did on that marriage during that marriage ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. What about 10 years later? Did they mean something different? What about, and I'm not there yet. What about 50 years later? Did they mean something different? Yeah. There's something deeper. There's something more. It's, it's experiential, tactile, firsthand contact knowledge that deepens the relationship. And what Paul is saying to the church is, I'm praying that you have that same type of encounter with Jesus after you've become followers of Jesus. Further up, further in. So what might that look like? Let me just give you a few ideas. How, how might you grow in that? Or how might you um, embrace some sort of practices or disciplines in your life that would help you grow in first-hand experiential knowledge of who Jesus is? Well, um, most of you have a Bible right in front of you. I would suggest that this is a great place to start. <laughs> We would believe that the scriptures are one of the ways that God speaks most clearly and most profoundly to our hearts and to our lives. But, but, let me just warn you a little bit. Oftentimes, especially in our modern era, we go to the Bible to learn oida. What if we started to go to it more for gnosko? What if we started, instead of just trying to mine the Bible for facts and understanding, what if we went to the scriptures and we expected encounter? What if we read a little bit more slowly and asked as we read, Jesus, is there anything in here that you want to show me that I just don't see yet? Lord, are there any words or phrases that are just leaping off the page into my heart and into my soul that you want me to spend some time and think about or pray about? And then, and then this is like, then when you sense that, just pause. Like, I know you got a Bible reading plan that you want to get through, but I would suggest that encounter with the living God is more important than a checklist or a box to check on your YouVersion app, which, by the way, I'm all for. But maybe there's more. Maybe there's something that's a little bit different. See, we read oftentimes for information, but I think there's an invitation to read for formation. And it means that we slow down. It means that we give God room to speak through his word. It means that we give the spirit time to drive something home. It means that we approach the scriptures in more of a dialogical form rather than just a didactic form. It means that we expect gnosko, not just oida. That's one way that God speaks. That's one way that we have a presence that's unveiled. The second one, and this isn't in my notes, but as I was just singing the songs with you and praying, I just sensed that, that, that I needed to say something that, about the way that God oftentimes meets us and encounters us most personally in our pain. In our pain. That it's one of, as C.S. Lewis would say, it's one of God's megaphones to rouse a deaf world. Yet he whispers in our pleasure, but he often shouts in our pain, doesn't he? And I wonder if there's some in this space and you're walking through a really dark season right now. I wonder if instead of just getting through it, Jesus is inviting you to walk with him as you navigate it. And that maybe that pain is an invitation further up, further in, further up, further in. Here's the way that Paul continues. He writes this. He says, 
having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So here's the, his prayers continuing that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That biblical hope, please hear me on this. Biblical hope is not some pie in the sky, wishful thinking. It is assured confidence of a future good. That's biblical hope. And he says, listen, I want you to have hope as you know Jesus, that you'd walk in hope, that you have an awareness of all the riches that are available to you in Christ, the glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the, say this word with me, church, immeasurable, meaning you can't measure it. Greatness of his power. Dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Toward us, toward you, who believe according to the working. It's in the Greek, it's this word, it's the word energy, enigneria, working of his great might, which means dominion. Put it all together. Put it all together. That there would be dynamite in your life, an energy that's working in and through you, that you would have through Jesus dominion, that you would walk in power. Oh man, that's a prayer. And Paul is building on all of the things that are already in your life. Your life has power. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in You, Paul isn't asking that God would give them power. He's asking that the church would have their eyes opened to the power that's already theirs because of faith in Jesus. That there would be a presence that's unveiled and a power that's unleashed. As you read through this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, power is going to be a major theme. And I think it's because there's a number of cults in the city of Ephesus, all of them exhibiting some sort of power, some sort of influence in their culture at large. And what Paul wants to write to this, what seemed like a little offshoot sect of Judaism that didn't quite have much influence and certainly didn't have much power, just because you don't see it on the surface of your life right now doesn't mean that it's not there. Just because you don't have control in the society right now doesn't mean you do not have the potential to have influence. And so many of us as followers of Jesus, there's a seed inside of us that has great power attached to it, but we shrink back. A number of years ago, before my wife Kelly and I were married, we were backpacking guides with Young Life, and um, we had guided a trip together, and my car was at the trailhead that we ended at, and I needed to get our group sort of cleaned up and all set and ready to go home, and my wife, my, my then, my then fiancé, Kelly, offered to drive my car back to our base camp. And the problem was, my car was a manual, it was a stick shift, and she didn't drive stick. But she graciously offered to anyway, and so I said, well, sure, you can take my car. I gave her a quick lesson on how to shift gears, right? So I see her sort of peel out of the trailhead parking lot, and I just get on my knees, please, Jesus, right? It's about 10 miles back to our base camp. And when I got back to the base camp, surprisingly, she was there. And I said, how'd it go? And she said, oh, it went fine. 
except that I couldn't get out of first gear. I mean, I'm just picturing this little blonde-haired young woman driving 15 miles an hour down a 55-mile-an-hour sort of mountain road and people passing her yelling, Shift! Shift! I think, I think, there are a lot of first-gear followers of Jesus. And the invitation from God this morning might be, shift, shift, there's more. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul's life, the power of God exhibited in the transformation that he experiences going from a Pharisee and a sinner to being a saint before God, the way that he saw people miraculously healed, that God was working through him, the way that he saw churches planted and the gospel pushing forward. This isn't some somebody writing sort of um, idealistically or ethereally about the power of God. He's going, I've seen it work, church. I've seen it. And it's in you. Because you're in Christ and the spirit of God lives in you. And I'm just going to invite you. What if this week, what if this week you stepped into some areas that you wouldn't normally step into? I think that one of the reasons we don't see the power of God on display as often as we'd like is because we very rarely put ourselves in the position where we need it. So what if? What if you had that conversation that you've been putting off? With a conviction, man, my life has power. Power to love, power to hope, power to bring change. What if, what if you invited somebody to come with you to Superfest that's coming up in a few weeks? What what if you decided that you were going to take that step and get involved in Set Free? What if you decided you would open yourself up and be a mentor for somebody who's a little bit younger coming behind you? What if you decided you were going to serve? What if you decided you were going to volunteer? What if you decided that once again, after years of a no from God, you once again said, I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for restoration. I'm going to pray for change in that child that's walked away. What if, what if you started to open your heart and your soul and your mind up once again to Jesus and you dared to ask this question, if it's true that your immeasurable great power is working mightily in me, what might you want to do in me and through me? And Paul says, listen, church, you can pray with absolute confidence. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked that because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Far above all rulers and authority and power and dominion above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. Here's what Paul's saying. When you pray, you pray to the God who has conquered death. You pray to the Jesus who sits enthroned above it all. This This is the foundation you stand on when you go to your heavenly father. There is no power above him. Everything has been put under his feet in this age and in the one to come. So pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. This is your God who you pray to. And Paul ends with this and he says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I like Eugene Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this in the message because I think he captures 
what's going on here. He says this, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. See, God's desire, Jesus' desire for you is that he would grow you, that he would grow his people, that he might fill his world. You're part of God's greater plan. Just a few minutes. Um, Fixed mindsets can happen both in individuals and in communities. Did you know that? That, that, that together we sort of carry an ethos, a, a DNA. And I love that Emmanuel Faith has been a church that's been moving forward, has been pushing forward and taking new ground for 80 years. And I just want to say to you this morning, my prayer is that it would be doing the same thing with a growth mindset for the next 80 years. That we as a group of people would say, we believe that God is not done with us. Amen. We believe that we are a people who are in process. We expect that we're going to change. We expect that we're going to grow. We will give grace to people who aren't as far along because we realize that we aren't ultimately where God has designed us to be either. We are all in people, people who are in process. Therefore, we have space for people who aren't as far along. Amen? Amen. One story and then I'll close. Um, a few years ago, Kelly and I, my wife Kelly and I, had the chance to go to a Brazilian steakhouse to the glory of God, okay? If you haven't been to one, do yourself a favor. They have these gauchos that are dressed up and they have meat on skewers and they come to your table and they just shave meat off. I believe it's the foretaste of the wedding supper of the lamb. They shave meat off onto your plate and there's a little flag that you have on your table um, at the Brazilian steakhouse and it either has, you can either raise a green flag, which means bring it on, more, or you can raise a red flag, which means no mas. I'm full, right? I'm done. I'm convinced that the same thing is true for us spiritually. That we can either raise a red flag and we say to God, God, I'm done. I'm full. I've got you figured out. Or, or we can raise the green flag that says, I want more wisdom. I want more knowledge. I want more revelation. I want more hope. I want to know the riches that are mine more fully. I want more power in and through my life. Presence unveiled. Power unleashed. This is the invitation for every follower of Jesus. More and more and more further up. And further in. Would you pray with me? You know, I'm just going to close by doing something a little bit different this morning. If, um, if you just sense that that's a word for you, either presence unveiled, you're going, man, I want to continue to grow deeper and deeper in my relationship with Jesus, or power unleashed. If you're here this morning and you're going, uh, I just, I want to pray for more power to be exhibited in my life. Maybe it's in a very specific area. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand so I can see you? Okay, raise your hand. I just want to keep it up. I want to pray for you. Keep it up. So Jesus, um, 
we come before you standing on your resurrection and your power that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And our prayer this morning as those who maybe have been following Jesus for years and years and years or maybe have just started following you, our prayer, Lord, is that you would unveil your presence to us more and more. Even this week, would you give us moments where we just see you clearly and are called more fully to walk with you in a very personal and intimate way. And Jesus, our prayer would be also that your power would be unleashed in us and through us, that we might walk in your joy and that we might make much of your name. Father, I pray that as a church, we would have a growth mindset, not just more people, but more depth, more intimacy, more power, more love, that more of your kingdom would be seen here in Escondido as it is in heaven, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen.